everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Everybody, and welcome back to Entrepreneur Rx. This week, joining me is Dr. Lee Weinstein. He's president of Core Smiles Consulting Group. He's also he's a former pediatric dentist, and he was a dental director for the state of Arizona's uh, Medicaid program. Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. I always have fun, no matter where I go. Right. Excellent. I like your attitude. That's a great attitude. All right. How did you get into dentistry? Okay. Well, I want to apologize at the beginning because as a pediatric dentist, if I talk to you like you're in third grade, that's my <laughs> level. And uh, I'm from- you need to do that anyway with me. <laughs> and I'm from back east. So we speak quickly. Uh, you know, and my wife is not here to kick me under the table to tell me to slow down. So bottom line is I grew up in Philadelphia, went to Temple and, and St. Christopher's Hospital for Children and did my pediatric residency, but Temple undergraduate, Temple graduate, did a whole mix of stuff. I was a history major but, uh, at the same time and business minor well, before I was going to dental school. You always know you wanted to be in dental school, be a dentist? Yeah. Now, maybe for the wrong reasons. I liked working with my hands. I liked working with people. And my mother and father had two cool cousins that I really liked who were dentists that talked me into it. I didn't have to talk me into too, uh, you know, too difficultly, but, but they did. And they were great. They were good mentors. So this is interesting. So you did something that was very prescient that most of us, including myself, I was a sociology major, didn't do. You were a, you were a business minor. Did you do that thinking, well, I'm going to run my own dental practice, so I better get some business skills? Uh, roundaboutly, yes. I did not know that we would never get anything in dental school. That was just a foreign world. Dental school gets no business at all, and I lecture on that stuff now. But I thought at the time that I better learn a little bit about business to have some clue because the, my cousins basically told me at the beginning, and, and they, again, they were great mentors, that you need to learn that stuff and you're not going to get it in dental school. I didn't realize that you really weren't going to get it at dental school. And I learned a little bit from them. But at the same time, I figured, hey, I got to learn this somehow because if I don't, I'm responsible. Not only am I responsible for myself, I'm responsible for the 20 people that I had to, to uh, you know, staff and, and my patients and, and the, the manager and the hygiene and, and all that stuff. And if I didn't understand that in English, I was screwed. You know, it's, it's funny because, you know, and I can see it in medical school because, you know, a lot of physicians go into hospital-based practices or what have you, or they're particularly these days, they're not in their own shingle. But at least dentists, back when you and I were going through this, I mean, you guys are all coming out with your hanging your own shingle and doing this. You had to have business sense or it just wasn't going to work. And a lot of it didn't. And a lot of it, you're right, hung their own shingle out there, but they were small in their house offices or, you know, there was no advertising. You weren't allowed. You were only in New York and in, in Philadelphia, you could have a quarter of an inch name outside and you could only put your name. It, it didn't have Tuthakta for kids or didn't have, you know, uh, happy smiles or kids grins or whatever they were. You couldn't do any of that. That changed over time, obviously. And that really offended the many, many old timers. But progress is progress. I don't like personally some of the commercials I see on television for, I'm coming from families of, of lawyers. So I, I don't like, you know, got run over by a car, you know, come to XYZ and we'll take care of you. Drunk, we'll take care of you. We'll, we'll get your ticket off. That's a little tacky for me. But if I didn't have some of that business acumen, not even acumen, if I didn't get some of that business stuff in there, I probably wouldn't know half of the stuff and maybe not have been as successful as I was or am. Yeah, no, totally true. And it's, you know, a lot of a lot of learning by mistake. You know, many of us did, but I think for dental, it, it's almost shocking that it's not at least 
how to run a practice isn't part of the school that you learn in, in dental school, part of the education no. that you have. Ironically, I took a, a class, I'm going to say about five, six years ago on teaching and how to you know teach if you don't know how to teach. I had always been teaching, but a lot of these people, you know, those, those who can do and those who can't teach basically is that expression. But you, you go back to your school in dental school, there were a lot of people that were full-time teachers that had absolutely no clue about business or whatever. So we never got anything. So they asked us to put together a, a one semester course, whatever that was, and, and, and how would we teach it and what was the curriculum and do all that stuff. So I sat down and I came up with a course on business, business practice administration, et cetera. And it turned out that it was, by the time I finished it, it was four semesters. And we were going to start at each, each semester, four years. Each semester was going to be something different. It was a practice administration course, but in a fun way. My course happened to be we were going to split you up into teams of four and we were going to design an office, go through a contract of an office, computerize an office, uh, learn how to hire staff, learn about 401ks, learn all the stuff that we never got. You were going to get this whole thing. You were going to name it. You were going to market it. You were going to brand yourself and do all that stuff together. And, and we, it would be a contest. So at the end of four years, everybody would have, every team of four would have a book. Everybody would share everybody else's book. So they would have at least a guide to take out to the, to the real world and move forward. I used to also lecture when I would say that, I would say, hey, I think people would come out, they're sold a bill of goods today that, that says, hey, go out and open up your own office, spend $500,000, $600,000 more and open up an office and patients will come. Well, that doesn't happen not anymore. And you're going to sit there and how are you going to pay the, the bills? You open up an office, your overhead in the dental office, if you're efficient is, is 50 or 60%. If you're not, you could be 80%. So you just spent, right. you, you could be spending 10 to $20,000 a month with no patients. So where's the disconnect? Don't sell them a bill of goods. Some people have the money. You just spend $700,000 in, in tuition, but you got to think about it and you got to work. I say, listen, go work at three or four different offices. The filling's a filling's a filling. We can teach you new techniques and, and all of that stuff. That's the easy part. The hard part is what do you do? You know, how does somebody answer the phone? You know, my office was yeah. like cheers because I wanted everyone to know their name and be comfortable coming into my office. And they were, and we had contests and we did whatever else we were going to do. Pediatrics, whether pediatricians or pediatric dentists, are tuned in differently. I think uh, we're, we're connected differently. Then, uh, you know, I go to my doctor now and I love my physician and my GI guy. And as we get old, I, I just realized when I went to the doctor last week, we won civil, we won the civil war because the newspapers and the magazines were so damn old, you know? So <laughs> you don't, you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And you're going to learn some of those things by working in other offices. People will come to you because they like you. They hope that you do a good job. If you have a decent bedside manner, that helps. If your staff has a decent bedside manner, that helps. You know, you organize yourself that way. In my opinion, it's a tortoise and the hare. I could see 100 patients a day and make X amount of dollars and 98 won't come back. Or I could see 80 patients a day and 68 will come back. I want a long-term growth and goal. And some people are just there in Medicaid. They just want them to come in, fill a chair, do what they have to do, get them out and move them out and don't care. So yeah. I think doctors and dentists and, and podiatrists and, you know, I think chiropractors are, are more tuned into business than we are. I think that it sounds horrible. I think they go, they go to school uh, for four years to chiropractic school. I think they learn how to do chiropractic in two months and three and a half years is all business. You just look at them. You go to the chiropractor. I'm, sounds horrible. You go to the chiropractor. You're miraculously done when your insurance runs out. Well, you're all better. 
okay, I have to come. It's now two hundred dollars an appointment. I don't think so. I, I can't afford that. Sorry, <laughs> I, I, my little sarcasm comes out. So no, I, I completely agree with you. So, all right, so you, in your right, pediatric dentists are cut from a different cloth. And I've, I've met a bunch of them over the years, and you guys are all little, a little different, but a different in a good way. So, did you ultimately sell your practice? Yeah. Well, I, when I left New York, I got tired of, of the winters, and we were like the Beverly Hillbillies. So my wife and I said, okay, we didn't grow up. I grew up in Philadelphia. She was North Jersey. We ended up on Long Island. And we said, there's a better place for us, I think, to live than New York. And, and we love New York. And I have three, I had three girls at the time. I still have three girls. And we just said, there's more to it. It turned out that my accountant that I met at a meeting in 1980, based out of Dallas, and he was a mentor because they know their stuff. You know, they end up it was a big group and then they split and, and I used this guy in Dallas and, and we had talked about going to Dallas. My accountant being there was just as easy to talk on a phone. We didn't have Zoom, but just talk on a phone or go there once a year to do financial planning, do, uh, you know, build practice administration and things like that. And I learned a lot from him and we moved on and we said, you know, we like Dallas and we were going to move to Dallas and we ended up in, in Scottsdale just because it was a better opportunity. They opened up reciprocity and I said, okay, let's go. But I had two practices. I, I taught at LIJ, a hospital, for 20 years. I ran a pediatric portion of a general practice residency in another hospital. I taught at a dental school. I ran all over the place. And I loved it. And I just had two offices. And I said, you know what? I, no, there's a little bit more to life than, than that. Let me sell those two offices. One of my residents was working for me. I sold that office first. And I had a partner in my other office. And when we found an opportunity out here, we said, let's come out here and just sort of relax and do what we need to do. And, and I worked out here for a bunch of years and then, then, then sold that practice. So you've, so, had, you've had basically three exits. Yes. Three different offices. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, when I first started, I worked at five or six different offices. You know, it was a day here, a day there. I would get in the car and I would say, oh, where the hell am I going? And there were days that I would go this way instead of going that way. But I learned a lot. The first, one of the first offices I worked in, they were panky uh, philosophy people. You know, it's a cross of life and balance and all of that stuff. But a lot of it was business. And I learned a lot in, in that office. I picked up, you know, the first couple of years, uh, I picked up what I like, what I don't like, what I might do, how I treat people, how I don't treat people. And, and I did that as I was building up my own office. So we started out in a small, I rented space from uh, a prosthodontist, which we had no, you know, no conflict. And it worked out, it worked out well. So I was there two, two days a week and I work in, you know, different places all over the place and learning what I could, taking my CE classes. And I tell everybody when I lecture, you know, you can take your CE classes. You've got to take 40% of your CE classes in business and practice administration and find the right mentors that you like. I may like you, John, and you may be a great mentor, but someone else may say, I, I don't really like him. And, and mm -hmm. there's a guy out in dentistry who does who did dentistry and sort of practice administration, uh, Ray Bertolotti, who's a great guy. And, and we're using, we were using loops and doing stuff that people weren't doing 25 years ago. Uh, and now that everybody does. Not, I'm not taking credit for that. That was, not, I, mean, I ended up going to those courses and, and learning. So not only were we learning technique, but we were also learning business. And you you meet people and you take those. I belong to a practice administration group in, which was a great group in Valley Forge in Pennsylvania. And even when I left Philadelphia and moved to New York, 
I would come back. It was once a quarter and it would be a whole day meeting. And they were phenomenal meetings. And I learned a hell of a lot from there. And I always lecture now. I said, listen, you don't have to invent the wheel. You steal it and you steal two wheels and you combine the two wheels together to make your own wheel. No one's going to you know, fault you for that. And that's what you need to learn. Then you have to learn. Like I said before, we had this story. You know, I, I, I ended up taking this course for how to teach because most teachers don't know how to teach, especially physicians, chiropractors, dentists. We have no clue. So I took this course and part of the course was, was a five-day beginning and then there were three months in between, and then we came back for the other five. And we had projects to do, and it was all teaching and learning how to educate and come up with curriculums and things like that. So we had to design a course for one semester, which I did. I sat down and said, what do I want to teach? And I said, okay, well, everybody knows the techniques and no one knows anything about business. So I'm going to sit down and come up with a business lecture and create a semester's worth of business course. And as I started writing all of these things down and just the, the bullet points, computers, design, branding, everything. I said, okay, well, I can't fit this in one, one semester. So I ended up creating a four-year course. And what we did was we put teams of four or five together. Each student group was responsible from a start to a finish, start up a business, go through the business processes, and, and then sell the practice. So that way they would learn a little bit of everything. So it was starting up, you were marketing, you were branding, you were coming up with a name, you then got the office space, you had to negotiate a lease. You had to figure out who your attorney is. You know, I'm not going to a malpractice attorney to, to learn how to buy a practice. And I'm not going to certain other people to learn how to do things that's, that's not within their realms. The, the accountant that was going to do your financial plan. And I say, I lectured, do you want to work at age 70 because you want to or because you have to? So there's a major, major difference in that. I wanted to work because I wanted to work, which was great. There's too many people now, if you look at it, this information that's out there now, 50% of the dentists don't have retirement plans. I yelled, my kids yelled at me because when they were 16, my big one, when she first started, I said, okay, she got her tax return back and she got like $700 back. I said, her name is Maddie. I said, Mads, you're going to give me $300 and we're going to put it in a, an IRA and we're going to let it sit there. And, you know, life goes on. And they argued, she argued for 10 minutes. And then and, and she said, okay, she's now 32. She just told me the other day that she was basically stupid. She's pregnant. We're going to be a grandparent for the first time. So she said, daddy, I, I finally realized that you were correct. And I should have put more away in my 401k now than I did seven years ago when I started this job. And she goes, now her husband is about $60,000 ahead of her. She goes, I, I don't regret anything. He put his away maxed. He maxed out, but he never put anything away when he was younger. So she puts away. She goes, I, I actually realized that that made sense. So students don't know that. So taking that course was going to help them in, in doing that stuff. You, I've seen offices where they go and they say, well, how come the plug is the outlet is 16 feet away? Now, I learned a little bit from, it sounds silly, but my father-in-law was a real estate market consultant. He started the, he coined the term active adult communities. And, and he did all the market. He didn't build. He helped the builders build, uh, come up with the project, the name, the, the, the design and all that stuff. And his target market, let's say, were, were seniors. And if seniors love the color purple and that's your color of practice and that's your, uh, that's your population, then your practice or your house 
should be all purple. So when someone walks in, they go, oh my God, if you have high business, you know, uh, Fortune 500 practice, nothing wrong with that, then maybe you should have computers that are there available for and, and special rooms for those you know, uh, patients. So you design it based on, on all that stuff. And he would show us stupid things that people like there were builders that would build a house. They would have a door that opened up into the master bedroom that would hit the bed a king size bed that would hit the bed you can only get halfway through or have an air conditioning vent right over the bed you know silly things like that that no one thought about so you as a, a new dentist have no clue and you go to the design company and what is the design company it's henry shine or it's it's somebody else that does dental sales and they say you need this you need this you need this you need and we'll design it for you and they design it the way they want and they design it with their commission in in, in mind perhaps so, you know, you've got to think about all that stuff. So it took that course all the way to the end to doing your financial plan, to hiring staff, to firing staff, to getting it OSHA ready, doing whatever else that needed to be done. And then all of a sudden we have to go through, well, now you're ready to retire or now I want to open up another office. Opening up other offices is, isn't always better. You know, there's people that have, I had friends that had six or seven offices and okay, they're juggling. And I've worked for a few people here when I came that had offices and they, they were on the stock exchange and things like that. And I just marveled. They had no customer service. They don't understand that. They had no idea that, that pediatrics will feed your, your general population. They had no idea that even if they didn't have that, that they should be knocking on the doors. General dentists should be knocking on the doors of pediatric dentists instead of the other way saying, hey, one pediatric dentist goes and knocks on the door and says, will you please, please, please send me your kids. And they're going to send you the kids that they hate or and they're going to keep the ones that they like. And I don't want them either. But they should be knocking on my door and saying, hey, please, please, please send me the two parents that come to my practice. And, and I'll take care of them. I'll send you the kids because I'm sending you the kid that's worth $300. And me sending pediatric is sending the parents that are worth $3,000 a parent. And if they like you, and I also sat down and said, hey, you know what, John, I like you. I think, and I know you're afraid of this, this and this and whatever it is. Here are three dentists that I like that will be perfectly suited for you because we have, a, I know who you are. I'm not just giving out names. I'm giving out names that are based on what I understand from you. Uh, and then yeah. there, that goes out. That becomes a reflection on me, and that becomes a reflection on both teams. Totally. So how did you do the um, access job? Because that's a far cry from a private practice pediatric dentistry. Well, that's true. As I was slowing down, I started to work as a consultant for one of the access plans, Health Choice. And I was there as, you know, like assistant dental director for them for like two years. And uh, all of a sudden, an opportunity, one of the guys that we work with left access in general and said they were looking for a new dental director. So I said, All right, I'm going to apply. Ironically, and really pathetically, I, I got the job and I ended up being the only pediatric dentist. And I, it, it has nothing to do with me. I was the only pediatric dentist in the country at that time, which was not that long ago, like 10 years ago, eight years ago, that was a dental director for a Medicaid program. Now, Medicaid is mostly kids. Okay, so there's 50 states, all right, throw Puerto Rico in there or whatever it is, you couldn't find 10. I did a lot of stuff with, with CMS and, and the government and did cohorts and, and did stuff with that. And I'm sitting there going, you can't find other pediatric dentists that would do that? So you now have a general dentist. You have a heart surgeon who's sitting there telling them what to do with, with little kids who have the flu. It didn't make sense. So I'm sitting there trying to educate these people on pediatrics. And they go, wow, you, oh, you, that's what you do? I said, yeah, that's what I do. So I ended up doing that. 
for a while. Then there was changing of the guard in there. So I, I left after four years. My mentor and my assistant medical medical CMO, he was a, an attorney slash anesthesiologist, but understood. And we bonded together. He was really a nice guy. And we bonded together. And he said, listen, this is what I want you to do. You take it and run. And we're concerned about the kids, but we also have to concern about dollars and cents. We have to understand what things are, are going on and how we're going to work with that. You know, with seven plans and me being an overseer of seven plans that are independent and can do whatever they want to do, we had to sort of corral them all in. It took me two years just to get Medicaid to pay for fluoride varnish. Statistics say that by the age of two, if you have four applications of fluoride varnish on your teeth, uh, the reduction of decay will be about 30% or more. And, wow. and pediatricians weren't allowed to do that. And we couldn't get the general dentist to follow the rules of dental home by the age of one, which is a simple, a, a simple mantra. You know, the AAPD, the ADA, uh, AMA, all say find a dental home by one so we can prevent decay. Access didn't understand that. And I said, listen, you're going to pay these doctors who still didn't jump on board. And from a dollar and cent standpoint, they would all complain. They would take a one container of fluoride that costs 80 cents. And in return, I got them $27 reimbursement. And they were asking, isn't the state going to pay for the fluoride varnish? I said, are you nuts? I said, if someone gave me, if someone gave me 80 cents to put in a slot machine every day, and I was going to get $27 back. That's all I would do is go to the slot machines and play the 87 cents or the whatever. And we finally, finally said, and I said, do you realize that if we do this, that we will be saving access and Medicaid will be saving money because we will be preventing, preventing decay. There's fluoride in the water here, but no one drinks the, the water because it's so bad. So everybody drinks bottled water. So pediatricians don't get that. It's all business. And if we don't educate, and a lot of the dentists don't get it. World Health Organization finally recognized that, that, that you can use silver diamine fluoride, which will arrest decay, and or fluoride varnish. The World Health Organization has been around for eons of time, and now they're coming to the point where they say, oh, oh yeah, wow. 10 essential health benefits from the government, from Obamacare. 10 essential health benefits. Dentistry is one of them. Teeth are one of them, but it's not mandated. The other nine are mandated. Teeth aren't mandated. And, and people, don't you understand wow. that, that teeth and bodies go together? I post on, on 100 websites. Uh, no, like 12 websites all the time about nutrition. I don't put cases on anymore because people who put cases on are just showing off their cases. You know, okay. Uh, the, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I see so many people in the emergency department with just horrible teeth and some of it's meth related, but a lot of it's just poor hygiene. Yeah. And what that leads to. I mean, it leads to, I mean, just the whole spectrum of multi, you know, multiple diseases and vice oh, versa. Sure. Yeah, periodontal disease. Why do you premedicate? Because the bacteria from your mouth, which is horrible, was going down into your chest and you were going to get, you know, uh, a heart issue. They're just doing a new test on, on the severity of saliva and the severity of your cases on kids with COVID-19. They'll be able to test the saliva and tell you how, how severe the case may be. So the mouth and the, and the physicians don't get that. And they're, they're too busy doing stuff, you know, or they say they're too busy doing stuff. And, and, and a lot of it is. But that's okay. You don't have to do it. Then refer it out. Yeah. Totally so, true. So then you moved into consulting. Yeah. So it was pediatric dentistry, head of Medicaid uh, access program for dentistry, and now you're doing consulting. Tell us about that. Well, the consulting is fun because, uh, you know, you get me here. Once I start talking, I don't stop. 
So, you know, I've gone and helped offices sit there and go, they don't understand pediatrics. I, I get both, but many offices don't understand pediatrics. So they'll call me in and say, listen, can you take a look at this office? You know, can you help us? Most don't understand the simple stuff. You know, it sounds so silly, but putting a cup, we did this years ago, having a Keurig in the machine, in the office, which is, is benign. It's stupid. But people go, oh my God, people come to our office, you just come to our office just to get the coffee. They would stop by, which was great. You know, oh, you have chocolate fudge? Okay. So docs would call in and, and, and new students would call and, and you know, I, I mentor them and I would sit there and go, hey, you know, let's start at the beginning. Go to Nordstrom's and see what customer service is. Go to Lululemon and, and walk out of Lululemon. You bought three things that you didn't want to buy. Well, why was that? My daughter, the big one, her major in school was consumer sciences and retailing. She went to University of Arizona. And it was one of the only few schools in the country that has that. And, you know, it basically, it's how to get people to buy things they don't want to buy. She's now a buyer. She and her husband are buyers for Dick's Sporting Goods. I mean, we laugh at it, but there's a design to it. There's a whole process to it. And there's a method to the psychology of all of that stuff. They did studies that say, hey, television shows that begin with the letter K, like Kojak or crazy or whatever, did better in the ratings for some reason. There's all, all that psychology. And a lot of these people don't don't get that. And some of the consultants are out there are horrible. I sold my practice out here and this woman hired. I said, listen, I'll sit, I'll come to the office for free. I'll sit there for three months. I'll put a dress and lipstick on if you want, because I want to make sure that these patients that I've cultivated for the years are taken care of. I liked her taken care of. She ended up hiring a, a dental consultant that came in. And the first thing the dental consultant said is get him out of the office and redecorate the office and tell the staff that basically the consultant said, well, this new doctor has no money, so don't expect raises and be happy that you're here. And within, I had like 10 staff and within three months, eight out of the 10 left, you know, that's not a consultant that's doing a good job. You know, something's there. Even if, it, even if we, the staff was horrible and they weren't, you, you can't get rid of them for a while. No. And I had patients that would come to me and they, I saw some people on the street say, oh, I missed the office. You know, what happened to this? I'm so friendly with my office manager who helps me out with the business aspects, some of the stuff. And, and she'll go to the offices when we need that. And she'll consult and, and, and say, hey, look, this is what we need to do. So I started doing that. And then I went out to help out guys from One Smile, Smile Brand. And, and they said, listen, we want you to go take a look at seven offices that we're thinking of buying up in Sacramento. Will you go take a look? I said, sure. I went with a general dentist and, and, and myself. And we spent, you know, four or five days going through that and saying, hey, you got, I said, I don't know what you're paying. We looked at the numbers. We looked at the charts to make sure that everything was fine. But we said, hey, here are 20 things that you could do to increase your business from customer service to adding new services to redesign without cha changing some forms, you know, maybe making a uniform change or, or whatever it is. Do all that stuff. And then that practice, th those practices are worth the money. You know, at the beginning, it's not, you know, you're, I, I don't know what you're paying, but you're probably overpaying. And here are the 10 reasons that we found, which is great. If you come back down and you negotiate it back down and say, okay, then you implement that stuff. You had no orthodontist in the office. Well, you know what? You're crazy. You have seven offices. Why don't you have one orthodontic or two orthodontist offices separately? This wasn't a brilliant revelation. Separately, and you could send them to there. They can also get referrals from someplace else. But you've got seven pediatric offices that are, uh, that are funneling into two orthodontic offices. Sedations, you know, centralized, open up a, an ambi-surge. And then if you open up the ambi-surge and you have seven offices that are in there, that's your ambi-surge. You maybe hire a doctor to do some of that stuff. You know, there, there's all kinds of stuff that you got to look. General dentists ha have no clue. And again, I, I hate to think outside the box, but 
I, I hate that term. It's like kale and other words. I just can't stand those things. <laughs> you know, it's time to stop thinking. Just think uh, and, and try to understand what the customer or the patient is going through and how you can best suit them. If that does it, they go out and tell thousands of people, you know, it, it's not that complicated. You know, brand yourself, do yourself a, a good job. But look at it. So I like doing that, going into the offices and sitting in the office and saying, hey, for $3.99, go buy some flowers. Uh, we're not, we're, it's, it has nothing to do with the, the work that you're doing, but it's, it's the appearance, and which is a major, you know, a major aspect of it, I think. Sorry, my chair is... Totally. And Leah, if people want to get a hold of you uh, for consulting or otherwise, what's the best way to do it? Oh, they can give me a call on my, on my cell, 480-323-0240. I answer. If I don't answer, leave a message. Or my email is D-A-F-K-O, DAFCO at AOL. We'll post that in the show notes as well. Lee, it's been a real pleasure. You are entertaining as hell. And just <laughs> and wise. I'd say wise beyond your years, but uh, you're very wise. So How old are you, get a lot out of this. How old are you? Oh, 61. Oh, I got you by six. Okay. And where'd you grow up? Uh, Chicago area, then uh, suburbs, and then uh, Phoenix for 30 years. Well, Lee, I will post all the notes in the podcast blog and including your contact information for those who want to consult. It's been a pleasure having you on this and uh, I will certainly be catching up with you. Oh, well, hey, let's go for coffee one day. Sounds good. Thank all you. Right. All right. A pleasure, John. Thanks. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeldmd.com. Thanks for listening.